Today on How I Scaled My Team, we are really happy to have Jessica Williams, VP of People at Refine Labs, a well-known marketing uh, agency. We usually interview um, leaders from tech companies, but we couldn't help but, you know, have Jessica um, tell her story and the processes she has been leading. So, hey, Jessica, I'm really happy to have you. Hey, Jessica. Hi, this is going to be fun. Let's do it. <laughs> cool. So, Jessica, uh, great to have you with us here. Uh, before we dive in, um, I know you're dialing in, if that's still a thing, dialing in from uh, outside Seattle, Washington. And before we dive in, can you kind of give us kind of a, I don't know, a couple of minutes, uh, short summary, who you are, what you've been up to, and maybe a couple of words uh, about uh, Refine Labs. Yeah, absolutely. I am happy to do that. So yes, right now I'm outside of Seattle, but I always have to say I'm a Texan because uh, that's very important to us. So I'm a Texan, but I've been in the HR space for about 10 years now. So I've done everything from recruiting. Now I'm in a VP of people role. Um, so everything from being a generalist to recruiting, uh, I've done oil and gas. Fun fact is that I was also the first HR, HR director for a crime scene cleanup company out of Chicago, uh, which I have amazing stories about that job. Uh, wait, yeah. wait, I, I think, I think we're going <laughs> to... Yeah, we need to pause. We need to pause on that. We're going to pivot the, in the, this, yeah. this conversation in a complete new direction. Tell us about some crime scenes. No, but we will have yeah. a sequel. <laughs> yeah, no, we. it's in a... like. To even work there when I moved, I actually moved to Chicago for that job and to tell my parents that, oh, I'm moving to Chicago and I'm going to be an HR director for a crime scene cleanup company. They're like, now what? Um, so amazing stories there. But my experience is a little bit of everything. Um, that's my specialty. Specialty is being a generalist. Anything to do with people operations or talent, I've done it. I'm willing to do it again. Um, and then Refine Lab. So we are fully distributed. Hold, hold on, hold on. Before Refine, no, 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 you're oh. not going to jump into Refine Lab that quickly. Hold on. So how did you get into the HR space to begin with? Is, did you go to school? I did. My background is actually I wanted to go to medical school. So I have a master's in international public health. Uh, my okay. thesis was actually on the spread of HIV and AIDS. Um, so thought I was going to go to medical school, actually finish my master's and decided there's no way. I had actually gotten accepted into medical school, but I thought there's no way I'm doing this for four more years. Um, had a friend who worked in HR and I thought, I'm going to do this for six months and then by then I'll be over whatever this is that I'm feeling and I'll go to medical school. So I got like a contract, like a six month contract role um, and never decided to go back. My mom still thinks I'm going to go to medical school. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> Mom, I hope you're not listening. She's still going to med school. She will go to med school one day. Uh, never. It's amazing, Shaha, that you paused on that. And I wanted to pause on something else. You know, she's saying, you know, a proud generalist um, and saying that she's willing to do it all over again. And, you know, her specialty is actually knowing to do many things from different kind of angles and directions. This is something I don't think... Um, would have been said proudly or, you know, as a statement a few years back. So today being a generalist and owning it and, you know, having, you know, so I don't know, wanted to put kind of a, a spot on that. Absolutely. And by the way, Romy, you should read my blog that, that when we announced, when we raised our seed round for Stoke uh, three years ago, my, the post said, you know, I, I'm not a great marketeer, I'm mediocre at product, I'm a shitty software developer, I can't sell anything. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much average in everything, but somehow I'm okay enough in all of these, mm -hmm. you know, to figure out and get by and, and connect the dots. And so uh, hurrah to all those generalists out there. By the way, in Hebrew, there's a word yeah. for them. It's, it's a pretty bad one. 
and that's oh. uh, Kolbojnik. <laughs> it's like uh, someone that does every, a bit of anything, everything. It's not you're not specializing. It's kind of it's almost an obscene word. Uh, yeah. But uh, kudos to all of us out there. I was going to say, I think it's a good thing. But to your point, I think before everyone wanted to be a specialist or like an expert in something. And I've actually have, I have people that I'm mentoring right now and I tell them, no, don't, don't do that. Like that way you're not pigeonholing yourself unless you absolutely know this is what you want to do and you don't want to pivot out. But to be a generalist, you can do a little bit of everything. And it has definitely helped me in my career. Yeah, I think, you know, I'll, I'll pause on that, although Romy might um, slap me later for devi- uh, deviating from, from the main path. No, the episode but, is uh, just going to be longer because we're going to get to everything. Yeah, but, but we're going to have fun. Who cares about length as long as it's fun? Um, and, you know, I, I think it's really up to uh, each individual's DNA. Some people mm-hmm. can become yeah. experts. I mean, if we wouldn't have, think about, we only have generalist doctors, uh, you know, speaking of you yeah. want, and your mom wanting you to go to med school, I want to go to the best, yeah. you know, cardiologist, uh, God forbid I need one, not a generalist mm-hmm. who's going to play around with my heart. He's going, hmm, I think this is, you want to go to, yeah. so it really depends on your DNA. Uh, there's a lot of room to specialists and experts that dive in and dig into very specified areas and become experts in sales or marketing or branding or mm-hmm. any or engineering or any of that sort. And there's room for, for generalists. It really, uh, my take yeah. really depends on your DNA and what, what you're going to be great at. Um, mm-hmm. Cool. So fun start. Uh, Refine Labs. Yes. So Refine Labs is a marketing agency right now. As of today, I think we have 120 employees. Uh, been in business for about three years. So everything from we have a complete creative team. So everything that a business might need creatively, all the way to the marketing side. Uh, when I started, I believe I was employee number 30. And so we've grown hand over fist. And by the end of the year, we want to be at 200 employees. Uh, we actually just went through an exercise of rewriting our core values because we felt like the previous ones are to be honest, I think our CEO just Googled core values and those were what we had. Um, and so now we're like, we actually need core values to reflect what we want to do. So uh, it's been an interesting transformation. <laughs> wow. It, it, 123 years. That's that's a wild ride. Are yeah. everybody located in the same place? Are you, where are you guys located? No. So we don't even have a physical office. Um, all of our team is all over the United States and Canada. Okay, cool. So wherever you want to be, we have a couple of employees that are nomadic. We don't know where they are. Uh, one drives around in an RV. He just explores the world, uh, but he has a computer in the internet. So wherever he wants to be. <laughs> we'll definitely come around to that. I knew I wanted to bring Jessica, you know, for, for now, the core values with us are completely aligned. So, so that's, that's a start. So this is crazy growth. Um, you're kind of, you know, experiencing and can you explain maybe what is the most important thing or element to keep intact during this times? Because a lot of stuff are going on, uh, when you grow these numbers. Yeah. We recently had an all hands meeting and one of the employees, and we called them the originals. So they were like the first 10 people. And you know how they like love to tell you that they were the first 10 people um, asked about the culture and like, well, how are we going to make sure that it doesn't change? And my response was, it is going to change. Like what you guys had when it was 10 people is not what we have right now. And it's, we're never going back there. And to be honest, he didn't really like that. Uh, that was not well received because the thought is that like, oh, we don't want it to change. And that's not real. You can't have what you had at 10 at a, 200 people. So now we are like, 
For example, this person, their feedback was, oh, I used to be asked questions and I used to be able to give my feedback and I'm not able to do that anymore. Um, and I said, yeah, we're not going back to you just being able to call the CEO and tell them what you don't like. <laughs> we now have like formal, you know, you can give us an anonymous survey or you can reach out to me, but things are going to change. And I think the lines of communication are changing and, you know, we're not going to go back to the way that it was. And that's a good thing, because if you're going back to the way yeah. it was, it means that you're losing business. So exactly. you know, it's, it, it, it's a conversation I keep having. And, you know, I, I worked with a bunch of different companies. And when you're a small, fast moving companies, you know, you keep making fun of the large corporates. Oh, we're never going to be like IBM yes. or HP. God forbid us becoming HP. But the real thing is you want to grow. You want to get into their size yeah. and just think you're going to do it differently. It's like us saying we're never going to be like our parents. Guess what? We're all going to yeah. be like our parents. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, Jessica is going to want her kids to go to med school. I can tell you that now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like they need to take care of me. Um, absolutely. No, but you're so right. We think I think as we have continued to grow, we've had to go back. We've had to turn around and say like, oh, the thing we said before that we weren't going to do, we have to do it now. So that's come up quite a few times. We're like, oh, well, you know, we are not going to ask people to fill out time logs. Well, now we're going to because we have a lot of, you know, scope creep and we need to be getting paid for these hours, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> Funny enough, we got acquired by Fiverr. And uh, as of last month, we need to log in our time as well. And uh, so we had the same. Yeah. We enjoy every minute responses. of it. <laughs> yes, you love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, um, you know, when you're going through this rapid growth that you're mentioning, you know, what are the key things, you know, the team's looking for? What are the what what is the team is talking about you're talking about these core 10 people that are there uh, beyond wanting to have this romantic sensation of you know we're a part of the first 10 what you know as the, as the team grows like the next 50 employees now you're 120 you're going to be 200 what are they focusing on and how are you coping with that the biggest thing that has come up in our feedback with employees and we recently done an employee engagement survey was transparency so we are pretty open when it comes to just about everything we even let employees see like the forms that let's say they are going to get promoted they can see what their manager is going to write about them like we have a complete open even when it comes to compensation you can see what other people are making if you so choose um so the transparency part of it, I think it's it's a double-edged sword thinking about it from my HR perspective, because some stuff I'm like, oh, I don't want them to know because I don't want them questioning me. But also it makes me have to be better at my job because I have to explain why we are doing certain things because they can see everything. So transparency is one. We've obviously already talked about the culture. People don't want the culture to change and I'm having to coach them through that. I think the, the third thing is the leadership team. So we're adding over the last six months, we've added in our, our C-suite. That's a big change from like letting everybody just, you know, not having that C level. So that has been a big um, shift in dynamic because there were people, I talked about those 10 people, they now have somebody over them that that was not there before. And they have a C-suite that's like leading them. Yeah, I want to I wanna talk about the pushbacks or, yeah. Yeah, you, you, I mean, you have your first 10, the people that have made, uh, again, Refine Labs, but mm -hmm. it, it applies to, I think, so many other companies that made the company from an idea to something that's sustainable, that stands on its feet, mm -hmm. that sees initial revenue, that uh, was the foundation to get more business, grow the team, and now bring in C-suite. Um, yeah. And now you're telling these people, well, um, we're going to bring you some managers. You're not going to work directly with us. And, you know, I'd love to hear kind of how you cope with this because in my mind, mm -hmm. it kinda, it, it, it's very tricky. You have to communicate to people, you're great, you're awesome, you got us here, mm -hmm. but you don't have the DNA to take us to the next step. And yeah. how do you handle that communication? 
That it has been, I'm not going to lie, even to this day, it is tricky because we've had to, to your point, we've had to tell people what got us where we are now won't get us where we want to go. And although you might be great as an individual contributor, you might be great in your current role. Let's say um, we have people that were VPs and then we brought in a C-suite above them and having to coach them through, you are not ready to be in the C-suite. So we actually did individualized plans and told people, these are the things that you would have needed to be in the C-suite and why you're not ready. And we did it that way because if not, it they think like, well, I've been here. You know what I mean? I've been here the whole time. Why didn't you give it to me? And it's, I don't believe in battlefield promotions. Just because you're here, it does not mean that you will get promoted. And how was the reaction? Did people like, did people take it in? Was people pushing it back and leaving the company? Did you, um, was it kind of like a one-on-one coaching period, you know, walking this through? It was a lot of one-on-one coaching. We did not have anyone leave. So no one left. We did one-on-one growth paths. Uh, We also made them a part of the process. So they were a part of the interview panels for the people that were going to join the C-suite. So they were actually helping us pick their manager, which got real complicated sometimes. Um, But we wanted them to be a part of the process. Like we basically said, we want you to buy into what's happening. You are not going to get this job. So help us find the right person. So Jessica, this is not standard. Really, no. heads off because <laughs> you know I've seen I've I've seen organizations and most organizations screw this phase up and you know people leave and people getting offended and whatnot uh, and, and I think there's a lot to learn here from you know to anybody's listening because you guys um, haven't traded okay there's a phase we got to grow we got to move in we got to get more money we got to get more leaders it's like you know anybody that doesn't fit the role you know either get by or get out of the way. Um, again, no, no one's doing it in an obnoxious way, but it's just there's so much on your plate that you're not even noticing it. The fact that you guys have built growth paths to the people that you did not promote, the people that didn't get the job, and kind of tell them, we're with you. We want you to grow. Yeah. We're going to put resources behind it, time, budget, and help us bring in the right, right DNA, created that engagement and trust mm-hmm. that made people stay. I mean, this is not... yeah. This is pretty abnormal. Congrats. Yeah. No one left. That was the thing. We were very adamant that we flat out told them, we want you here. In the role that you are currently in, you are adding value. And here is a path so that you can grow. And we are going to allow you to go externally and get training. Or we will train you. Or we will get you a mentor. We'll get you executive coaching if you need it. We will get you there. But you are not there today. And so we just flat out said that. And I think a lot of times companies... Um, they beat around the bush or like, oh, we, you're just not ready, but you can't tell them why they're not ready. And that's not, that's not right. What is the main kind of lesson learned from this process? Like, w- what would you do different? Because it sounded, as Shahar said, extremely, you know, wealth, like super thorough, well thought, super professional. Like, what was, what would you done differently? When I think about the internal communication of it, we could have done it in a different way. So we basically got them and it was four people. And we said, hey, we're going to talk to these four people separately, knowing that they were then going to go talk to each other. And it was going to be like this big hoorah. So if I had it to do over, I would have talked to them separately. And then I would have gotten them all together and said, this is the path forward. We want you here. So it did cause some internal like, well, why? You know what I mean? Like they all got together and decided they wanted to talk to us. We could have gotten ahead of that. So there was definitely, it wasn't all smooth. <laughs> we ended smoothly, but it did not, it was not all smooth. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure it's, it sounds a lot simpler in hindsight. And, yeah. and I'm sure there are bumps, but still, the th- you know, the thought process was well um, structured, the execution 
is never flawless, even though it works, it's never flawless. Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned earlier, you know, you're updating your core values. How did you get to the conclusion now is the right time? Or how do you, how do you notice that it's time um, to kind of rethink it? Yeah, so we actually just rolled it out, the new core values yesterday. And so one of the things that we did when I do onboarding, I asked people, we had five core values and I would ask them what resonates with you. And there were actually only two core values that people said the rest were seemed generic because they were. Um, but <laughs> there were two that actually, you know, they one of them was about failure, like we embrace failure and we, you know, fail forward type of situation. So people were really open to that one. So two of them only resonated. So once we got to 100 people is when I said, these core values don't fit us anymore. And they, to be honest, they were a placeholder for us to get enough people to really say, what are our values? Now, that's kind of a disservice, I believe, to the 100 people that were here before. Because if I had it to do over, I wasn't here in the beginning. I wasn't here in, you know, 10 people. I would have done the core values back then. But we, I wasn't here and that wasn't a priority. <laughs> so making it a priority once we got to 100 people was important, but also making sure employees were a part of the process. So we recently had an offsite in San Diego where all of our employees got together uh, and we did an entire exercise of these core values don't fit us anymore. What should the core values be? So we got everyone's opinion, aggregated that data and rolled out new core values. So everyone was involved. It wasn't that I just set the core values because that wouldn't have been true. How is that received? Um, core values, in my experience, there's, there's two extremes, right? One, companies live and die by core values. And sometimes it becomes a bit more of a, you know, almost a cult, uh, if you will. Yeah. And on the other extreme, it's, uh, it's sarcasm. Mm -hmm. Or a nice poster kind of on the oh, wall. Yeah, nice poster. Oh, yeah. That's what I mean by sarcasm. Yeah. It's like, oh, yes, of course. Yeah. I worked at a company uh, 2000, I think it's four or five. And we had an amazing CMO came out with, with a marketing campaign at some point. I think it was called Be the Change or Drive the Change or Lead the mm -hmm. Change, something like that. And all, in the hallways, everyone was like, keep the change. Keep the change, man. Keep the change. <laughs> I'll keep the dollars. You keep the change. And so there's, there's sarcasm. It's like when you roll out something and there's someone's thought to it and then everybody, yeah. then everybody takes the sarcastic part of, uh, of yeah. that thing. Um, how do you, how, how do you people respond to your thought process? How did the company take it? Well, it's been less than 24 hours that we rolled it out. So we will okay. see, but if I'm being honest, I would say most of our people have, you know, drank the Kool-Aid. I don't think we're a cult, but we're might be cult ish <laughs> and that people like really want to be here and they're bought into it. So we will see, but we already did have a little bit of pushback from people thinking that we shouldn't have changed them in the beginning, you know? Um, but then giving them the story behind like, he, our CEO, like, just made these, like, there was no thought behind it. Uh, giving them that insight was important. Shaha was saying that sometimes it's just a poster. Sometimes it's just kind mm -hmm. of like it's it's you know somewhere in the system. From yeah. from an HR perspective, how do you how do you make sure that it's actually in the everyday lives? Because you can say we are you know pro failure or we accept mm -hmm. failure or we you know we want to have you know a culture that you know people take risks and people put themselves mm -hmm. out there and people try new things. But how to actually make it part of the everyday life in the company? And I'm taking you know the failure as is an yeah. example, but maybe a good one because it, it, it is, you know, it is becoming kind of a buzzword saying like, you know, we have a culture yeah. that, you know, so how do you do it actually, you know, practically? Uh, I'll, I'll add to that from, if you don't mind me piggybacking your of question. Of course, of course. I was about, I was about to ask, um, you're doing all of that in a fully distributed remote organization. You can't even hang a poster anywhere. Yeah, uh, there's a poster. 
like I was like, it's no posters anywhere, which is a good thing, I think. Um, but it has to be embedded into everything that we do. So from the start, from onboarding all the way till someone leaves. So we even make our core values a part of our performance management. So if you are going to be quote unquote written up or you're gonna need to be on a pip, it's it's going to be because you violated a core value. So it's all tied together. And also when you give someone praise, you have to tie it to a core value. So we have a mechanism where you can do peer to peer praise or your leader can give you praise, but if it does not tie to a core value, then we, we don't get praise for it. So one, it's embedded in everything. Um, the second thing I would say is from the leadership team, like we speak about it all the time. So obviously to your point, we don't have an office, so we can't post it. It's in our culture book, but it's not like our employees are seeing that all the time. It's The culture book is mainly for new hires. Um, so you have to circle it out and make sure that it's a part of everything that you do. Let's. I want to touch on the failure part because to your point, it is becoming a little bit of a buzzword to say that you can fail, but what does that actually look like? So we actually give an award for failure. So we every single quarter we say who had the biggest failure and they talk us through what they did and why it didn't work and how we could do it differently. And we give them an award for that. So we make it to where we want to know about the time that you failed. And it is an expectation that the leadership team will participate. I could be very wealthy that way. <laughs> Shaha, I think we have a new idea. This is interesting. Wow. The challenge is people will, will, will think I'm rigging the system because I keep failing. I'll get all the awards all the time. Guys, I really want to ask, you know, I'm touching kind of the touchy subjects or the, or the things that are, you know, more sensitive. But let's talk about the CEO. You mentioned him before um, in a very honest, transparent way saying, you know, what was in the beginning and, and now through this entire growth um, what's going on at your end with, with the CEO? Like it's a huge shift. Um, mm -hmm. Is he less involved? Is he even more involved? Um, is he, you know, still really kind of with the 10 people that, you know, the, the first tribe of, of Refine Labs, like um, how does it work with him? Uh, shout out to Chris. I'm sure he's going to listen to this. Hi, Chris. Um, <laughs> but I would say it, there has been some state of transition because, To that point, when you start your own company, you want to be involved with employees. You want to know what's going on. You want to have that sense of a pulse. And so an example of this is this comes up because he will randomly call people. And I've had to have a conversation with him about him scaring people because he just randomly calls them and wants to know, how's it going in the company? And they're like, why is the CEO calling me? And I've had to give him that feedback of the relationship you had with that first 20 30, even 50 people where they knew you, they'd had conversations with you, maybe that had met you in person at an offsite. It's not the same for people who only see you on LinkedIn and they only see you in the staff meeting as the CEO. You don't have that relationship and we want you to build that if that's what you want. So he has taken the initiative that every week his executive assistant sets up at least five phone calls with employees. Just five phone calls. It's on their calendar. No random, just calling people so that they feel prepared just so he can get to know new hires. So he wants to be heavily involved, but the bigger we get, that's not real realistic. Shaha, what's your thought on this? That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I can completely relate. You know, in the beginning, I used to get, mm -hmm. um, you know, from, from someone on my team that, you know, when I joined meeting, I scare people off. It's like, what do you yeah. mean? I'm the, nicest, I'm, the, I'm the nicest person on earth. It's like, I'm, I'm always, I'm, I'm, I'm always easygoing. It's like, No, but when you're you're disappointed of something, it's like people think you're going to fire them. It's like I never fired anyone, any of them yet. Why do you think I'm going to fire them? And it's like, well, they kind of, you know, you're the CEO. You're walking in. You're all grumpy about something, and then everything's like, you know, shit's going to hit the fan. Mm -hmm. And and I guess this there is this disconnect between how you're 
thinking you're you're communicating yeah. to people and how they perceive you for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you, um, you know, I'm, I'm finding it difficult myself at some point to keep mm-hmm. in touch with the new employees for a variety of reasons. Yeah. And, you know, you get distracted. Um, and because a lot of times, like, you know, I'm going to ask you, how's it going? Then the conversation after, ends after five minutes because, you know, I've been around the block once or twice. And usually the yeah. answer would be, oh, everything's going well. Why do you yeah. ask? It's like, it's so, it, it's, it takes time to build trust and for someone to really yeah. tell you, you know what? Onboarding was pretty shitty. It's like, you know, yeah. I didn't get things on time. My manager didn't give me attention. I was kind of walking around the halls for two weeks, not knowing. This is what, this is what I'm looking for, right, in these conversations. Yeah. Just to tell me everything's great. Wow, I'm really humbled by the fact the CEO has given me five minutes. That's bullshit. I don't care about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, but it's true. And the title matters. Even for me, when I started, I decided I was going to call people, just kind of like Chris. And I randomly called people. And I had people that were like terrified. Like, why is the VP of HR calling me? Like, am I being fired? Which is ironic because whenever somebody says like, I, they're afraid to talk to Chris now, I kind of laugh because I'm like, oh, Chris won't fire you. That'll be me. So like, like he's not going to be the one talking to you about being terminated. So we like laugh about that. <laughs> I know I, I can definitely relate to that. Um, so Jessica, first of all, uh, this is a fun conversation, but I know Romy's keeping tabs on how much time we have. But before we kind of bring it into an end, first we should schedule a follow-on conversation because I'd love to hear how you guys are recruiting and how you're building, you know, um, long-distance relationship between the teams and how you build the career path. I think there's so much we can talk about. Yeah, I would love that. I've been part of this transformation in the workforce of remote work, you know, for the past I don't know, four or five years as I started researching the changes. Um, and I think while a lot of companies are heading in this direction, while well, kind of COVID forced everyone, um, a lot of them don't even know how to begin thinking about it. And it's no. more of like, oh, we're going to try and do things the same way we did, only remote. Yes. Yeah, and it won't work. <laughs> and that's not going to work. Yeah. I remember I, I had a round table with about 35 VPA jars in – Q1 of 2020, right? Right around when COVID hit, just the beginning. And I remember something like, um, yeah, it's going to take a couple of months and we're allow people to work from home for the next two, three months. It's like, no, you got to rethink. Everything. Everything is going to be Everything. different from yeah. now on. It's like, if you're going to treat this as temporary, you're doomed. This is the new reality. Um, and so I'd love to have a follow-up conversation, which probably scheduled. I don't know. I'm going to leave that to, to, to the smarter people on how we're going to do this. But before we, we, we come to the end, um, um, kind of well, what's the most challenging uh, um, assignment, mission, task you had to deal with um, that's currently on your plate? Or was it your plate for the last, I don't know, two quarters? Um, I definitely say career mapping was, has been the most challenging because one of the things that we have set out to do is everyone has a path forward, whether they want to be a manager or they want to be an expert. So we basically said we're going to make two tracks for every single employee. And it has been very hard to do that because it's an individualized plan. So it's taken me months to pull it across the finish line. Only now we're going to change some of it because, of course, that's what you do once you do something is you change it once you are finished. So we're now changing it. But I also think it has had the biggest impact on employees to see a path forward because most people I feel like leave organizations, one, because of their manager, but two, because they don't see a way to up or a lateral move or anything. So we are now saying we're going to get ahead of that and everyone's going to know how to move up. So it has been very challenging. You know, I have to tell you, you know, a, a ton of respect. I mean, you guys have been around three years, four years, right? You're a very yeah, young company. Yeah, three years. Mm-hmm. Most companies don't get to this point, you know, after 
six, eight years when and to, to, to start talking these things. The fact that you're investing so much into these paths so early on is just testimony to, um, you know, I'd love to learn more on, you know, how do you guys come with that? You know, is it uh, Chris's DNA? Or have you been pushing that way? How do you guys get to invest so much in creating and um, nurturing people's growth? Yeah, I think it's also incredible because, you know, um, retention and hiring and yes. the challenge of hiring new people and everybody is stuck in the same cycle instead of what you guys are doing is actually investing in a career path that will be sustainable and personalized to each person, whether he wants to become, um, you know, a, a people's manager yeah. or he wants to become a, a specialist or a professional. And um, it's two different things. And you, yeah. you don't have to, you know, be, you know, promoting only to, to you know, kind of to becoming a, a leader of different of other people. And this is also something people sometimes mistake. Yes. So I think it's also a huge impact on retaining talents and retaining people that you want to stay in the company. So so it's incredible. One Quick last question that we can't uh, mm -hmm. leave the call with is a piece of advice, uh, kind of a gold yeah. thing for other kind of head of people, VP people, HR leaders out there um, dealing with growth, with scale. Um, what would that be um, taking on this challenge of, of scaling a huge company or team? My advice would be to a VP of HR, VP of people, you are not an extension of the legal team. If that is your thought, that you are an extension of the legal team or you are about compliance, you are wrong. That Clapping our hands. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that's not it. You're in the wrong position. You need to be worried about the culture, employee engagement, um, all of those things. If you see yourself as a part of compliance, you're in the wrong. So, and it won't last. So my advice is do better. <laughs> Love that. Short and to the point. Uh, uh, to all our listeners, this has been part one of uh, two-part yeah, conversation with Jessica. I'm not sure if part two will fit into this season or next, but we should definitely continue this conversation. Yeah, I would love to come back. This has been amazing. We will. Um, so thank you, Jessica, so much for this conversation. Yeah. And uh, Shahar, of course, uh, always doing this together. And to our listeners, um, thank you for being with us. Um, and we are always excited to the next episode of How I Skilled My Team. Make sure to subscribe and we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.